Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. We're going to turn in our Bibles today to John chapter 2, and we'll begin our reading in verse 1. John chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when the wine ran out, that is the title of the message today, when the wine runs out. The mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with us? Literally in the Greek, he says, what does that have to do with me? And what does that have to do with you? Probably a better way to understand what he's getting at. He says, my hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Great advice from a mother. Whatever he says, do it. Now there were six stone water pots sitting there. Usually they had pots made of some kind of pottery, but when it came to ceremonial cleansing, they feared that the uh, stone pots were best because they would not absorb the impurities of having feet washed in this water. So they would use pots that were hewn from stone instead of the pottery ones. He said to them, now there were six water pots sitting there for the Jewish custom of purification. That meant washing your nasty feet before you came in the house. Containing 20 or 30 gallons each. And Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. So they fill them up to the brim. Didn't want to make mama mad. They're doing it. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. And when the head waiter tasted the water which had become wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water, they knew the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, you know, every man serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee And it manifested His glory. And His disciples believed in Him. The fourth Gospel is unique in quite a few ways. And we've learned that over the years in our teaching here at Cornerstone. The word that one of several words that doesn't occur in John's Gospel that occurs often in the others is the word miracle. 
Miracles happen, but John doesn't call them miracles. So a Greek word for miracle is usually dunamis, which we get our word dynamite from Alfred Nobel. Got corrected on that the other night. <laughs> but it's usually dunamis. But John uses a different word, semion, which is the word literally translated as a sign. It doesn't mean they weren't miraculous, but John takes us to another level. One of the things that Dr. Robert Canoy taught me in school was uh, in theology, John always has at least two meanings, sometimes three. And it doesn't mean he has two different contradicting ideas. No, he just takes you to another level. There's something going on here that we see easily, and then there's something else going on that is even more important. And John tells us there were seven of these signs that he did. Turning the water into wine in chapter 2. Also in chapter 2, he will cleanse the temple. He will heal the nobleman's son in John 4. In John 5, he will heal the man that was lame. In John 9, he will heal the man who was blind, and feed the multitude in John 6, and then finally in John 11, he will raise Lazarus from the dead. So we're on the first of the seven signs. Don't know that we'll preach the rest, but this is where we are today. And I want to tell you though, if you go on and read them, you will find four things in every one of these experiences First of all, we experience His power when we see Him doing these things. It, in, it involves, our, our, I'm sorry, first of all, we, uh, we experience His presence. He involves Himself in people's lives. They have needs. The needs probably look way bigger to them than it looks to Jesus. Sometimes He may even seem disinterested or that He may not even do anything. But no, He has invested Himself into their lives. So we have His presence. Then we discover His plan. He always has a plan. Sometimes it may not seem like it, but He does. And then we see a demonstration of His power. He always does something in all seven that none of us could ever do on our own. And then there is a purpose behind every single one of them. And that's what we must not miss. Now, let's just say this before we move to the text. What is a sign? It's not a trick question. A sign is something that always points to something that is greater than itself. It's, it's, it's not the thing. It points to the thing. If you see a sign that says Dollywood... You wouldn't slam on brakes, get the kids out, say everybody have a great time, let's enjoy ourselves while we're here. No, it's not as big as we thought it would be. The brochure has lied, but we're here. Well, you'd be quite foolish to do that because you've stopped way short. That metal sign is pointing towards something far greater than itself. And that's one of the things that we need to make sure of And when we read Scripture all the time or when God does something miraculous in our lives. We should think about what's the bigger issue here? Nowadays, oh my goodness, 
people worship all kinds of things that God intended for them to point towards something else. But we're so short-sighted sometimes. We begin to worship those things. And there are churches nowadays that, boy, it's all about miracles. Every Sunday, if somebody's not raised from the dead, we didn't have church. And, and we need somebody to shout and swing off the lights or whatever it is we need to do. It, it is like we began to worship that which is pointing to something greater. God's wanting to teach us a deeper lesson that's not going to just be temporal. He wants to teach us something that's going to be eternal. So we need to learn that from these seven signs. Let's look at the first one, the first element that seems to always be there. And when this one, it's when the wine ran out. First of all, His presence, as we said, verse 2, and both Jesus and His disciples were invited to the wedding. Weddings were a big, big deal in that day. I know it's hard to believe they were bigger in that day than they are today, but they were. As a matter of fact, you would stay at least a week over at the bridegroom's house, and the gifts would be brought by the guest, and the bridegroom, of course, he would furnish everything that you needed for the occasion. All the food, all the drink, you need places to stay. He had to take care of all of that. And of course, he had others who were helping him. But sometimes in life, like in this occasion here, there's more demand than there are resources. And I'm not just trying to spiritualize this point, but... Jesus is actually going to take this dilemma very seriously, and I'm glad that He does, because I can tell you, sometimes, number one, life can become hectic. It can become hectic. It says in verse 1, there was a wedding. That's all you need right there for life to be hectic. You don't need anything else. You don't need a flat tire, an engine blown. You don't need the building to burn down. All you need is a wedding, and everything goes as planned. And I can tell you, you really got your hands full. It's a difficult time. And these celebrations would last a long time. And like I said, the host was in charge of making sure that all the needs were met. And in this culture, it was a big deal. You did not want to come up short. You, did, you would never show up for a wedding without a gift. And if you were the host, you would never want to run out of food you would never want to go through that awkward, embarrassing moment. It would be really worse than that. We may giggle, but man, I can tell you for them, it was something that was very important. And here is a wedding that is about to be remembered for something that was rather infamous. They're not going to remember the things we usually say, you know, like all the the, the bride was beautiful, or maybe you said, how in the world did they get her in that dress, or, or something like that. This wedding's about to be remembered for something that's not really good. And it'll be remembered that way forever if it happens. Now, what's the personal application for this? I would just tell you this. Sometimes you just run out of wine. And I'm not saying that, you know, I, I don't plan weddings. I pastor a church, though. I serve the Lord. 
I try to I live in this world, same one in which you live in, and you know if you've lived here very long, sometimes the resources are low and the demands are high. And sometimes you could just look at yourself and say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm about out of wine. I, I'm about out of me, God. It's not that I, I just don't have enough time. I don't have enough me left. And, and here's the thing that I would warn us about. This is a wedding. This is a wedding. This is supposed to be a joyful, wonderful occasion. It, it's not a funeral. So understand it can happen to people that you might look at and go, well, what does he or she have to be stressed about? They have a great job. Their life's a wedding, not a funeral. They've got all kinds of cool things going on. Look at that house they live in, that fancy car they drive or whatever. Uh, look at that, that beautiful wife he has or, or whatever it might be, handsome husband. That's what my wife gets all the time. But it, it might be something like that. But we don't. We have to be really, really careful here because I can tell you right in the middle of a life that looks like it is on the rails and moving smoothly, I can tell you sometimes people are dealing with things that we could never imagine. Never imagine. You know, I think a good example, even though it's a serious one, about 5,000 teenagers a year in this country take their life. Every 12 and a half minutes, I believe it is, a teenager takes his or her life. They've never had a bill come to the house yet with their name on it. Their company's not folding up. They're not about to lose their job. They're not married they are, many of them, grades are fine, good-looking kids, handsome. You would think, man, how in the world could anything be wrong? And we're left bewildered when these kinds of things happen. I just say this, we can be under a lot more stress and strain and have a lot more going on than most people will take the time to understand. Be careful with that life can be hectic then sometimes it does life can be hopeless verse 3 she says after the wine's running out she says to Jesus they have no wine they have no wine they had like we do most of the time I guess waited until it was at a crisis before they decided to do anything about it. I don't know. I don't want to read into the text or make the darkness speak here. I'm not sure what all was going on. But I know one thing about this that I really think is cool is that someone noticed. And it was Jesus' mother who noticed that they were running out of wine and she went to Jesus on their behalf. We call that intercessory prayer. Isn't it great to know that somebody has noticed that, hey, you know, old so-and-so is getting a little low on wine. I could tell the other day he was stressed. I could see it in his eyes. Or I noticed the other day when she came to work, there was just a emptiness about her. And I, I, I wonder maybe if uh, maybe the cancer is back or, or maybe something like that. Man, if we could just take the time 
to try to imagine not all the yucky, crazy, foolish, gossipy stuff, but to try to empathize with where a person might be and carry their need to God. How cool would that be? Man, if you got people who pray for you, boy, that is an awesome, awesome thing. Well, sometimes life can become hopeless, but here's the good news. The first of his signs was at a wedding. The last of his signs was at a funeral. He goes to those two. Jesus had a little bit of trouble with funerals, though, because whenever he went, the dead didn't stay dead. That, you know, that can throw a kink in a good old funeral in a heartbeat, it, will it not? That's, that's just kind of tough. It, but But man, it is awesome to know that when life is just hectic, when people are thinking, well, he's got such a great job, and and, and and they already know how much you do every week. Did you know that? If you lose track of how much you're doing, just ask somebody, especially those that like to gossip. They all know. They all know what you're, they know what that meeting was about. That guy that called Preacher Mike in his office, I bet he wanted to give him $100,000. I bet you that. If you meet that guy, tell him, please come by. You have no idea. Sometimes life is a lot tougher than it looks. Well, his presence was there. Like all the others, number two, he had a plan. It says in verse 3, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, and that's not a derogatory way of saying that. It would be in our culture, but it's not our culture. What does that have to do with you and with me? My hour has not yet come. She went to them and said, they have a problem. It's not mine, but I want to bring this to your attention. There is something going on there, God, that only you can help. And his mother was sensitive to that. And even when he looks at her and says this, she didn't come away like, well, wait till you get home. I mean, I don't even know how to discipline Jesus. You know what I mean? You better knock it off, boy. No, she knew. She knew when she left him that, yeah, he's, he's, he's got a plan. Let, let, let me just say this to you, and I don't want to stretch this out too long, but Several years ago, and some of you will remember, it's been quite a few years ago, I, I, I can tell you right now, I pastor the best church I've ever been in in my life. I mean that. I tell people that all the time. I really do. I love being the pastor at Cornerstone Fellowship. When I get these little calls, you know, from somebody that the Lord laid your name on our hearts and we just wondered if you might be thinking about making a move. When I finish laughing, I tell them, you don't have any clue how God has planted me, and I believe here till the day I die. So that may be good news, it may be bad, I don't know, but I can just tell you, I love being a pastor at Cornerstone Fellowship. It's a great church. I love you, and I love being here. But if you remember, quite a few years ago, I got up here to preach. And I said a few words, and then I began to cry. 
And then I couldn't even talk. And I remember that Sunday, we had a pastor on staff at the time, Pastor Wolfgang Seibler. I miss him so much. He came down the aisle. He got a hold of me. The other pastors were coming wide open. They got around me. The church came with them. Y'all prayed for me. I couldn't even get my breath. I was crying so hard. This is the same church. And I loved it then. But I want to tell you something. Most didn't notice it, but my wine had run out. I was just stressed to the max. I found out the day before, as all of you did, that Mr. Parker had died. Now, if you didn't know Mr. Parker, it'll be hard on you to imagine how that touched my heart. He was one of the best friends I ever had. Didn't have a tooth in his head because he pulled them all. And I do mean that. I do mean that. Kind of reminded me of you, Mike, in the sound booth. I was hoping Mike would be able to be here today because on Wednesday, he had hernia surgery. I walk in Wednesday night, and Mike's here that night. I'm like, this is Chuck Norris. Mr. Parker, every Sunday morning, would come in my office and give me a dollar. And it didn't matter if the President of the United States was in my office talking to me. He came in the door. He put the dollar on my desk. He said, hey, preacher. And he walked out the door. Man, I'm going to tell you. And he knew he could. He had my permission. And if you needed counseling during that time, it's too bad. There's going to be a man in a pair of bib overalls that's going to come in here in a few minutes and he's going to give me my dollar for the week, and you just have to live with it. I'm going to tell you something. When Mr. Parker died, unexpectedly, outside, just come in from weed eating, he was, uh, was he 90 years old, close to 90, 88, something like that? Huh? 91. Came in from weed eating that day. Fell dead on the floor. Man, I'm going to tell you something. I don't think he got saved until he was 86. He got saved at 86. And he loved the Lord. He'd come in here when the band was practicing and he'd play air guitar. I loved him. He asked for nothing, never complained, just loved me to death. I can just tell you I had a lot going on and I remember that day I just could not go on. I was tired spiritually, emotionally. I had just had it. And I remember Pastor Wolf led the way, but you as a church responded so quickly. Before we left from down here, you, as a body of Christ, had already raised enough money to send me, I mean, right there, just people handing it to Wolf, to send me on a month sabbatical. And I want to tell you something. Had I not taken that month sabbatical, I doubt I'd be in this pulpit today. I am so glad somebody was sensitive enough to notice our pastor's had just about all he can take right now. His heart may be just too broken to go on. But God has a plan. 
Now, sometimes it doesn't seem like it. And let me just tell you this quickly before we move on. This won't be the last time it doesn't look like he's interested or that he's going to do anything about it. I love the story where in Mark chapter 4 where the disciples are out fighting the storm. And what is Jesus doing? Checking the meteorological reports. Paddling away, crying, we're going to die. No. He was in the bottom of the boat asleep. And the disciples go down there, and man, are they ever some sharp theologians. They said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Wow. Of course he cared. And he came up on deck and stretched like, man, I was having a good nap. Don't, don't the storm, I, I got it. I got it. Man, a lot. John 11, Martha told him, you know, Martha was all about, we, we, we should be able to always do something. And that's me too, buddy. I don't like talking about it. I hate this new lingo we have in the world. We need to have a conversation about this. No, we don't. We just need to do something about it, okay? We've had enough conversations. We've had conversations going on all over the United States of America about this, that, and the other. We don't have anybody brave enough to stand up and do something about it. So I'm a doer too, man, old Martha. And so Martha looks at Jesus and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would still be alive. Just saying. You know, I bet she did her shoulders like that. All all I'm saying, if you'd have been here, you'd be alive. You know, there was an old black preacher I heard say one time, God may not come when you call him, but he's never late. He's never, ever late. Well, his presence, he has a plan sometimes when it doesn't seem like it. Thirdly, his power. He said to them, fill the water pots with water. Now this is where he's going to show something to them. And so he says, don't go down to the spring. I need the best water you can get. Or I need some distilled water from, you know, Dollar General. I'm sure there was one nearby. He said, fill those nasty foot washing pots with water. And so they filled them to the brim. And he said, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. I think that's kind of cool. He didn't tell them, I'm going to turn it into wine before it gets to his lips. I didn't even ask. I just said, yeah, we'll take him some. Can't wait to see the look on his face when he sips this. Oh, man. I want to tell you something. Jesus had done something miraculous. And please hear this. Make sure you get the application of this for your own life. He took what was nasty and unclean and made something wonderful and beautiful and useful out of it. And I can tell you that's not the last time he did it either, friend. Because I can tell you this week I celebrated 44 years of being a born-again Christian because February the 13th, 1980, he took something nastier than that water and more worthless than those pots and he transformed my life. I promise you he can do it. And he didn't just make wine. Oh, they said, man, this is the real deal. This is the Romane Conti. Now, you may not be well-traveled and well-versed in those things, 
Or you could have done like I did and just looked it up online last night. <laughs> but Romane Conti, I understand, and you have to say it that way, is the most expensive bottle of wine in the world. God, you took water with sheep poop floating in it from all people's nasty feet. And you made Romane Conti. You don't just make wine, God. You know, they have, I see these, I, I, I don't know how good they are. A lot of people just put wine like in plain old bottles. I hear the good stuff comes in a box from Walmart. I, I don't know. I'm sure that's better. That's what God can do. He can do that in your life. Our dwindling resources, He can take those and He can create abundance. I like it when He said, disciples, well, what have we got here to eat? And I said, well, not much. we got a kid over here with five loaves and two fish, and that's about it. And we got thousands of people hungry, and, and you know there's no way. And Jesus is just like, stop, 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 stop. Bring me that boy's lunch. And watch what I can do with it. When you give me what you do have, I can turn it into abundance. Where there's emptiness, He can bring fullness. He can do awesome things. I think about this. The first miracle that Moses ever performed or God performed through him, he took water and turned it into blood. Jesus does something very gracious because that was a plague. That was a sign of judgment. Jesus does something that is a sign of joy. He takes water and turns it into oinos or wine which was symbolic for joy. Wow. Everybody can personally experience that in your life. Just bring Him that old dirty foot water you've become. Give it to Him. Let Him change your life. Number four, His presence, His plan. His power. Number four, His purpose. His purpose. Verse 11. This is the beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. And manifested His glory. We'll come back to that. And His disciples believed in Him. Manifesting something means you show it forth. You demonstrate it so it's visible. You make it apparent. His glory is everything He is and everything He does. That's one of many definitions of it. But the glory of God is a display of who God is and what God can do. Remember the Hebrew word we learned, kabod. It is a word that means weight. So if you have a dirty old rock that you found you think nothing of, but you discover that it's heavier than lead and you clean it off and you realize that it's gold and you're wondering, man, I wonder what this old dirty rock is worth. What you do is you weigh it. That's where we get our word. And then you find out exactly what the value of that rock is. That's our Old Testament word for glory. God's about to teach us just how much weight He carries and who He really is and what He can really do. Oh, most didn't get it. 
Most never got it. But some did. Who is, who is this? Matter of fact, if you go back to the Old Testament, they were questioning things about God. One's kind of a rhetorical question I love in Psalm 24. Who is the King of glory? The psalmist knows, the Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Our world doesn't understand that. I watched a video this morning. John Lennox was having a conversation in it with a guy. They were debating this very passage of Scripture. And the other guy was a materialist or an atheist. And you know what he said happened here? He said, look. He said, my bet is this. That this man realized he was running out of wine. Jesus made that known to him. And this guy felt badly about it and decided to go get the wine he had put back and hidden and he brought it out and let everybody have it. And that's where this came from. Now that tells me two things. One, he doesn't know much about God and he doesn't know diddly about people. I've even heard it said that the feedings of the multitude was only because that when that little boy gave his lunch, people felt sorry for that and then it moved them emotionally and they had all packed the coolers full and they drug them out and everybody had plenty to eat. Anything but that Jesus did something awesome. Oh my goodness. And Luke 7. A woman anoints Jesus. Jesus is invited to eat at a Pharisee's house. And this woman comes in and she's a woman of ill repute, I guess we would say. And she begins to anoint Jesus. And the Pharisee of the house said, you know, I invited him because I heard he was the Son of God. If he was really the Son of God, he would know that she's a sinner. Well, he didn't only know she was a sinner. Guess what? He knew he was a sinner. <laughs> When Jesus got his own disciples straightened out about it, he forgave that woman of her sins. And he said it out loud, and the people said, Who is this man who even forgives sins? Matthew 8, when the disciples were in the midst of the storm and he calmed it, when they didn't think he could, his own disciples said, What kind of man is this? that even the winds and sea obey Him. Man. If you put this in the historical context, and I want to as I close, they've had Judaism, ceremonies, washings, rules none of them could keep, guilt, shame, contest I'm more spiritual than you and somewhere in the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament they they went full professional on it they had leagues they had the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sakari and the Zealots and the Herodians so they picked teams in there somewhere to compete with each other it was foolish they had all of that and it had left them empty. The resources had faded. It left them dirty, nasty, and unrighteous. But guess what? God saved the best for last too. Man. And it says at the end of this verse, and His disciples believed Him. 
It's not that Jesus didn't care at all because these guys, this man, this bridegroom, the head of this wedding, was about to feel shame and disgrace. He did. But I can promise you Jesus had a much, much bigger plan. Every one of these signs. Think about poor Lazarus. He was raised from the dead. I wonder what happened to him later. You know, when the chest pain hit and the arm went numb or whatever, or he was under a truck and couldn't, he knew he was going to die. I, did he say, here we go again? Been here. It, it, it wasn't. I mean, one of these days we're going to all be in heaven together in glory. If I get sick, I hope you pray for me. I had cancer, you prayed for me. I lost my arm in an accident, you prayed for me. And I'm so glad that you did. And I could see the miraculous hand of God in all of that. But God didn't do all of those things just to show you that you could have a pastor with just one hand. He wanted to show you you could have a pastor who didn't have arms or legs. He's got a plan. And one of these days in glory, we're going to be together again. So always ask the question that he asked his mother. When you need a miracle, say, Lord, what is this to you? What, how can I give you glory through this? Whether I live or die, whether it's malignant or benign, whether I make it or I don't, God, how can I manifest your glory? How can I do that through this, God? Whether you fix it or not, help me to know how to do that and to know what it is to you, God. Please help me, Lord. Every head bowed and every eye closed. We're doing something a little differently today. Perhaps God's touched your heart. Perhaps right now, maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior. It says here the disciples believed Him. Most people won't ever believe Him. But maybe this morning you have. And you would love to tell Him right now, God, I'd love for you to take this old dirty foot washing water I've got I'd like for you to take my life that's so full of self and, and such, has such a myopic focus and, and Lord, that just I've made it all about me and I've already ruined so many relationships, God, or whatever it might be in your life. I don't know. Maybe you just know that you have never said, Lord, here is all I've got and it's poorly inadequate. I need a transformation. I need you to save me. Change me, God. If you'd like to do that, or maybe you've got other issues. Maybe you're a Christian and you're like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I love the Lord and I've tried to serve Him, Pastor Mike, but I, I hadn't got over the first point you made about running out of wine. I've, I've run out of me. I'm so tired. I'm embarrassed to tell people my life on the outside looks like it's just really going great. How could I have these problems? Maybe you feel like you're in no man's land. You can't even tell people about it. You'd be embarrassed. 
Man, I want to tell you something. You can tell Jesus about it. I hope you will. I want to tell you right now, there are three members of our pastoral staff. They're in the first room on the left when you go out of our auditorium this morning. Just go out of the auditorium and go left and you'll be there. They're praying for you right now. And if you would like to pray with someone, if you'd like to give your heart to Christ, if you'd like to, to just have somebody pray for you, don't leave today without taking a left when you go out the door. You can go right now if you want to. Anytime from now till this service is over and beyond, those men right there are waiting to pray with you. They'd love to have you come and let them call on God's name on your behalf. Whatever you would like to say. It would be confidential. We're not trying to embarrass you in any way whatsoever. All you have to do, you can just get up and slip out now or anytime you like. They'll be waiting. Lord, I pray right now for every person here, God, I promise, I know, Lord, without a doubt, as ignorant as I am, God, I know there are people here. Lord, their wine has run out. Their ability to get it done, to cope with it, to deal with it, it hurts too much. How in the world could that spouse just walk away? How could I have lost a child so young? How in the world could... This company where I poured my life into it just leave me bankrupt. How in the world could I be so devastated? How in the world after all of the things I've done to be healthy and, 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 and to take care of myself, God, and now I have this tumor that they think may take me out of here. How could that be? Lord, I know there are people here today. They may not show it. But Lord, their hearts are heavy. And there's a lot for them to do and very little of them left to do it. I pray you'll help them now. Give them the courage, God. Get on their knees with a pastor. Pray with them. Cry out to you. Let us as a church come alongside them and be a blessing. Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.